Hello, welcome to Cannon and Cockrell. My name's Michael, I'm a Spurs fan. And I'm Jason, and I'm an Arsenal fan. And a lot has happened since we last spoke, and we are speaking the day before Arsenal take on Manchester United in Monday Night Football. Jason, how are you feeling about Arsenal in general, and what are you thinking about Monday Night's game? Um, I'm probably feeling, right in this moment of time, probably because the game, game is tomorrow, and I know if we win somehow... We'll go third and all will be fine and dandy on paper. Um, it's been frustrating recently seeing, you know, our capitulation. I don't think we've spoken since that Southampton game. That was, that drove me insane. Kind of the lack of leadership on the field. Um, the silly mistakes that were just down to that lack of focus. Um, you know, it, it was it was so easy to get three points and the way in which we drew, you know, it's all right if you, they score wonder goals or, or we're all trying our hardest and we can see the team really going for it. Um, but when you see a lacklustre effort, um, kind of the manager taking off key players who, who were, who were performing, um, it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with the fans at all. Um, bottom of the table team as well. What bottom of the, yeah. Yeah. And to get those many, shots conceded by uh, to the opposition i mean it's it's madness that that can happen with a club like arsenal but i don't know whether whether this is the new arsenal that we've got to be used to now i don't know i mean then you look at our 3-2 win against uh, aston villa and again kind of we shouldn't have been in a position where we had to get to that point you know the, again this is a team that's just come up we're at the emirates we need to be controlling these games and going you know, four or five nil up. That's if you want to be in, in that top league, that top bracket, that's what you've got to be doing. But I've now kind of established Liverpool and City are another stratosphere in terms of consistency, in terms of quality. Um, Liverpool probably more so at the back at the moment. Uh, both of them in attacking quality. And, and we just, it's not about money. It's about, it's about style and discipline. And unfortunately, whether, I don't know, directly who's to blame obviously previously I've, I've cited the manager fully um, but based on this week um, which we'll go into a bit more depth in terms of this this story around the captaincy which I can't say I know the inside truth but what it reads to me it, it is that is that we are accepting mediocrity at the club at the moment and that's not good enough um, you know when you see us winning the league cup game five nearly against Forest, and you know seeing all these young boys perform score keep a clean sheet, you're thinking, all right, it's against Forest, it's, it's third round the cup. But actually, why are we not playing these hungry young men who who who, who want to play, who want to play for the cannon on the shirt? Um, so I, th- I think I'm, I'm optimistic for the future. I think we will turn it around. I think, you know, Emery's contract runs out of the year. Either way, I think he might leave. I might think he might say, I've got, I've got them Champions League, they're back to parity. Someone needs to then push us forward. I think if he doesn't get it, the club will say, right, we need to get someone in for, for to spin the dice again. Um, so I'm optimistic ahead of tomorrow night for some reason or other. And I, I read a tweet, someone had said only only Arsenal would be um, would be nervous about a game in which the club they're playing don't even have a striker, really, playing tomorrow or a first-team striker. Um, it's going to be Lingard probably up front or, or Greenwood. Um it's just the Arsenal way, you know, I don't, it, that game used to be huge Arsenal United. It used to be the game in Premier League history, probably alongside uh, Liverpool versus Man United. At the moment, probably, 
it's it's a it's it's almost a mid-table game, or it is looking at the, at the league table. Um, I'm nervous. I, I would take a draw tomorrow, right now, just to bring us up to um, up to fourth again and 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 keep keep in and amongst the teams. But if we lose that, I think it sets a bad precedent for us going forward. Um, and just out of interest, you know, I mean, reading a BBC article saying relief. Um, for Mauricio Pochettino after a difficult week. Is that how you would sum up your week? Difficult or challenging? And uh, uh, are you nervous that um, this is just a, just a one-off and you could go back to, to how you've been playing uh, come next week? Well, it was definitely a difficult week. Obviously, last weekend, Leicester, where we can talk about VAR later maybe, but obviously circumstances went against us on that occasion we fell to a defeat and actually funnily enough you said just then that you'd have you'd take a draw tomorrow against Manchester United I remember at kickoff of the Leicester game I was watching it on TV with my dad and I turned to him and said I'd take a draw now because I think Leicester have been very good this season and I think they were due a big result against one of the top six obviously they drew against Chelsea they lost against Man United but played very well in both of those games and actually when we were watching that game even when we were one nil up I was thinking do you know what this is actually the best team, you know, the second best team we've played all season after Manchester City, bearing in mind that we've been away to the Emirates this season. I was just so impressed with the way Leicester defended, how well organised they were, the quality of their players. I mean, I'd take both of their fullbacks over our fullbacks. And so I was actually impressed when we went into that two-goal lead. Obviously, then the goal got disallowed. We threw it away after that. Then, obviously, Colchester going out on penalties in the Cup. Obviously, when you go out to a side like Colchester... It's embarrassing, but part of me was thinking, well, you know what, with something like the Carabao Cup, unless you're going to go all the way and win it, I'm not that bothered about going out in the first round, having played a, a second string side. You know, last season we got all the way to the semi-finals and went out on penalties to Chelsea and we got criticised for it. So it's sort of, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, unless you're actually going to go and win it. It's a drain on your resources that you don't really need, particularly when our squad is kind of as threadbare as it is at the moment with injuries and all the rest of it. However, I was concerned after the game when Pochettino talked about the need for the January transfer window to sort out the squad when he'd been going on about how things would be better once the summer transfer window had shut. So there's clearly um, some issues behind the scenes with contracts and players whose heads and hearts maybe aren't still in it. But then you get to the game against Southampton we go in front and then Serge Aurier gets himself sent off two yellow cards in quick succession. I think the second yellow card was a bit soft, but he can't give the referee that decision to make when you're on a booking. And it just speaks to how he can't be trusted defensively, despite what he might offer going forward. And then it was really the Hugo Lloris horror show to concede that goal. And after what had happened against Colchester and Leicester, you're feeling the worst and thinking, okay, here we go a man down, we've just conceded a goal. This could get very, very ugly. But then we we dug in, we scored through Harry Kane. And actually, in a strange way, I think that red card is the best thing that could have happened to us because you could feel in the ground the atmosphere change and the fans going from maybe being on the players' backs to getting behind them and helping them get across the line. And it kind of felt like it brought the team back together a little bit. And that sort of fight and spirit that people said we'd lost was actually there in, in evidence. And so I think that might have been potentially the spark we needed to just to get a bit of spirit back and get a bit of unity back, not just within the squad, but between the, the, the players and the fans as well. And, you know, I look ahead to our next few fixtures now. Obviously, we've got Bayern Munich in the Champions League on Tuesday. We'll see what happens there. But in the Premier League, we've got Brighton and Watford 
hopefully we can get a better result against Watford than you did. And if we can win those two games, then we're right up in there in the top four. We're kind of got a nice run of form. And I think it's all kind of back to how it should be. And obviously we've got Sessignon and the Celso to come back from injury as well. So I do think we've hopefully turned a corner. We won't know until the next few games, obviously, but I'm still cautiously optimistic because I think we actually played pretty well against Leicester until the goal was disallowed. Colchester, as I said, you can kind of write off second string team, you know, are you really prioritising that competition? And actually before that, you know, I think we've played pretty well in some games. I just think similar to Arsenal defensively, we've been nowhere near as solid as we need to be, but I'm still cautiously optimistic. And I definitely think, yeah, it was a relief after a difficult week and there's a platform now to, to move ahead. And I think potentially as frustrating as it was at the time, maybe Serge Aurier did us a big favour by getting sent off. Now, that's fascinating you say that because Spurs has have said quite recently that they're quite not not quite sure on who their best back four are. You know, you have your your young boy in, in Sanchez, who some could say might be ready to replace Vertonghen at times. You know, older Vireld, um, if he's looking like he's going to leave anytime soon, um, you know, you do need a long term replacement and the fullbacks as well. You know, um, Danny Rose, did he want to leave in the summer? It sounds like he did. Um, who is in the pipeline, probably Ben Davies, but also on that right-hand side, you know, you have someone like Juan Voigt, for example, um, after letting go of Trippier, that, 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 that potentially could take that role. Um, and it it also kind of brings the argument about chemistry in the team, whether while certain players might on paper be the best players to play on the pitch, do they work well within the team? Do they have the temperament to work in certain environments as well? We know that from games, for example, and I take Meza Ozil for an example, that if we're going away, three o'clock, cold, uh, rainy day, um, to Stoke, um, would we would he play? Would he be most appropriate um, as opposed to playing at Norwich, um, 5.30 in the sun at the Emirates, for example? And I, I wonder with Spurs, with Aurier, if he keeps on making mistakes like this, um, the cause the wider team issues where the Mauricio Pochettino will say enough's enough because whilst on paper again he's he he's got a good reputation attacking wise he seems great I wonder if he is one of those those weak link weak links that um that are part of that 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 winning mentality issue as well I wonder, I wonder what your thoughts are, are on that it's interesting because actually the um the game against Palace as well, that we won 4-0, which I forgot to mention in, in the games that have happened since since we last spoke. Aurier was fantastic in that game. He scored one, he set up another. And actually, you look at that performance, we tore him apart in the first half. And when you saw that, you thought, OK, we're back. And then obviously, we followed it up with uh, blowing our two-goal lead to Olympiacos, losing to Leicester and losing to Colchester. But you looked at that Palace performance and Aurier's role in it, and you thought, well, here we go. We found ourselves kind of, you know, maybe this would be Aurier's season. Leicester, he had a goal ruled out under very harsh circumstances. But there was always that question mark about his temperament at the back. And I think certainly there's a big question mark over both fullback positions over what the best team is. Because on the one hand, you've got Kyle Walker-Peters, who's got potential, but does he have that extra spark you need up front? And then on the left-hand side, Danny Rose, you know, he he's that you can't fault his passion on the pitch, but I think his ability is definitely nowhere near as good as it used to be. He doesn't contribute as much in the final third. He's a bit erratic at the back, like we saw against Arsenal. And to be honest, I'm really not sure beyond Vertonghen and Alderweireld in the middle. I'm not really sure who our best defence is beyond that. I'm right back. We'll have to see what happens when Foyth comes back from injury. 
At left back, I'd be tempted to give Ben Davies a run in the team because I, I think he's far better than a lot of other Spurs fans give him credit for. And I do think the defence kind of speaks to some of those underlying issues in the squad that you were alluding to in terms of players who we could have lost. I mean, the back four yesterday was Rose, Vertonghen, and Ardavira, Dorier. All four of those players could have easily left this summer. We know we were happy to let Rose go. He didn't travel to, I think, the pre-season tour or some games because for him to explore opportunities to leave the club, obviously Ardavirod and Vertonghen haven't signed new contracts. And Serge Aurier, I think, we might have sold over the summer if, if a good offer had come in. So definitely there's... Uh, the poor, you know, we used to have one of the best defences in the league. And I don't think perhaps it's a coincidence that we've gone to almost conceding two goals a game when the long term futures of our defence is so up in the air. So I think it's definitely a worry for us. But I'd say even in this day, our defence is still looking better than Arsenal's. You mentioned just before about the League Cup thinking if you're not going to win it, probably better to go out early. Um, And it makes me think again, what is the target of this Spurs team as a fan? I think we've touched upon it before, but now looking at the fact that already you're slightly up against it in the Champions League, um, the title race is looking out of reach beyond anyone, but but, um, the red side of Merseyside and the blue side of Manchester. um, Where do Spurs go from here? Are we looking at top four again? Is that seen as a backward step? Where, If you've got the momentum now, if that win... Uh, this weekend was a sign of things to come. Where do you go now? Well, I think top four has to be a a minimum for us now. I think we've got to hold on to being a a Champions League club because being in Champions League these past few years and getting to the final particularly, it's given us a bit more of a a pulling power amongst attractive players to the club. And we don't have, you know, Manchester United are a club who can still appeal to players even if they're in the Europa League for two or three years because of the the recent history. So we need to maintain the, that allure of Champions League football in order to compete with those clubs who, who have more money than us and who, who have that kind of modern history to fall back on that the, the players will, will want to come and play for them. But I think definitely, I mean, Pochettino himself has said that if he doesn't win a trophy this season, he'll see it as a failure. Like you said, the title is definitely beyond reach. Champions League, I mean, look, we, we got to the final last year, but whether we can repeat that, who knows? I think the FA Cup is the one that all is fans are going to look at and I think there will be a big expectation and pressure on Pochettino to take the FA Cup very seriously people won't accept us going out like we did last season when we lost I think it was 2-0 to Palace and played a real mishmash of a team Um, that needs to be I think arguably as long as we are going to hold on to the top four the FA Cup probably becomes the top priority especially if we get knocked out of the Champions League Um, so I think definitely we Everybody around the club, inside the club, wants a trophy. And I think the the one negative of going out of the, the Carabao Cup, even though I sort of justified it, is that it does put extra pressure now on the FA Cup and on those other competitions to deliver something. Because, yeah, if we finish the top four again but don't have a trophy, there'll be question marks about whether or not that really is progress, is um, continuity progress. It's it, I suppose that's the question that Arsenal were we're facing the past few years but I think uh, top four will be I mean you look at Leicester I think top four is wide open this season for clubs you know you, you look at United Chelsea Arsenal and, and Tottenham none of them look really as solid as they could do and then you've got teams like Leicester competing I think obviously uh, Liverpool and City will finish top four 
if Leicester can sustain a challenge, then actually the finishing top four could be harder than it has been in a while because it might not just be the usual big six who are competing for it. Those two words, Pochettino, and as you alluded to before, failure seem to be coming together quite a bit. And I, if you've been following the papers this week, which I'm sure you have, you've been hearing those rumours about Gareth Southgate being a potential replacement for Pochettino. For one moment when I read that, I thought, hold on a sec, has, has he been sacked? Have I missed the news on something? Um, do you do you think that something like that could happen mid-season or do you see it being more more a case of him walking away rather than the other way around? I don't think Pochettino is going to walk or get sacked this season, certainly not during the season. I wouldn't be surprised if come the end of the season, particularly if we do manage to win a trophy, if Pochettino goes, OK, now, now's my time. I've been here six years. I've seen you through to the new stadium. I've got you to a Champions League final. If he's got a trophy as well on top of that, maybe he'll think now's the time to start something fresh. I don't think Levy will ever sack Pochettino. I think things would have to really go spectacularly wrong for that to happen. And certainly I think all of the Poch out or, you know, Pochettino to be sacked talk is, has been very over the top. I think Pochettino's position at Tottenham is very secure. It's just a question of his own wish, whether he wants to, to stay longer. I don't think he's the type who would walk out mid-season. Come the end of the season, if, if other jobs become available and he thinks he's taken Spurs as far as he can, maybe. But I think I don't think any Spurs fan in their right mind wants to see Pochettino gone. And I think Gareth Southgate as well, I, I, I doubt he would uh, walk away from the England job to come to Tottenham. I think Gareth Southgate's better suited to international management rather than, than club football. And if Daniel Levy did sack Pochettino by some weird list of fate, I think you would want... Uh to get the metaphorical VAR in place. And that's why I wanted to ask you about your, your beloved friend VAR, because I know you wanted to have a have a word on that, because I know it's it's uh, it's going against you now after all those um, months of, uh, of beneficial decisions, especially Lorente's handball in the Champions League. Um, not that I'm still bitter about that. What I would say is, is this. Obviously, there's been a lot of fun and jokes about how VAR has benefited Spurs. What I would say is that against Manchester City, both last season in the Champions League and this season in the league, what we saw was, I think the issue there was with the rules and how the rules were being applied rather than VAR itself. And I think that's more of the issue is in terms of how VAR is being, how the rules are being implemented rather than necessarily VAR itself. This season, we already saw earlier this season with Raheem Sterling against West Ham where his armpit or something was offside. I don't think the, the current settlement between the offside rule and VAR is sustainable. I think either the offside rule is going to be changed or how VAR is used to enforce it is going to change because I don't think any football fan wants to see goals disallowed because a, you know a, a little bit of sweat on the player's forehead or something is offside. <laughs> I think there's, there's two issues with the way offside is being used. It's the offside rule itself, which has a player gained any advantage if you have to take two minutes to determine that the slightest bit of their body is offside. That's not what the offside rule was brought in to stop. And then the other question, which is a bigger question, which I'm surprised there hasn't been more talk about, is whether actually VAR is technologically capable of determining offside when it's that close. Because I remember after the Sterling West Ham incident in the first weekend of the season, there was a big report in one of the papers saying that actually looking at the frame rates of the cameras and the speed the players are moving and all these other things, that actually when it comes to within a few centimetres, 
VAR actually can't be trusted to get those marginal offside calls correct. And I remember after the Kingman Sun incident, Jonathan Wilson, who writes for The Guardian, and a lot of other football journalists were saying, actually, there's big question marks over whether VAR can actually be accurate when it gets that close with the offside. So that's actually, and interestingly, the Premier League, in their statement to BBC Sport on that decision, it was a very strange, interesting choice of words because they didn't necessarily defend the decision. They just said something along the lines of VAR can only use the technology available to it, which I thought was an interesting choice of words for them to, to single out technology. And actually, and this isn't just about because it's gone against Spurs. This is a, a wider question for all of football because it will go against every club at some point with offsides that marginal is whether VAR can actually adjudicate when it's that minor. And I think it's particularly frustrating when you look at, for instance, the Arsenal-Aston Villa game when, I don't know, was it Socrates who the, the ball struck his arm in the penalty box? And you mm. see all these incidents not going to VAR, not being reviewed, clear penalties or fouls or all the rest of it, where VAR is not intervening because they don't want to overrule the ref on the pitch, even though we all look back at the replay and go, that should have been a penalty or that shouldn't have been a penalty. And yet it's willing to spend a couple of minutes to overrule a goal for offside over the most marginal of things. So I think it's a, a bigger issue with VAR that will affect everyone, not just Tottenham. Obviously, I was frustrated because it went against us then. But I think actually in that particular incident, it does speak to broader concerns I have with VAR in regards to the offside rule and whether it's technologically capable of doing it and whether it should even do it anyway if it is, because is that really what we want with offsides? And then also how the Premier League has got itself in this position where it's basically only seems to be coming in for offsides and nothing else. You know, we don't have any referees going to the monitor to watch something again. And it seems like they're getting more wrong with VAR than they did before in a, in a weird way because they don't want to overrule the ref. And I remember in the um, the Champions League game, the Bale goal against uh, PSG, they got disallowed because it hit his arm. The referee in that game was an English referee and he went to look at the, the pitch side monitor to review it. I don't think I've seen a single referee do that in the Premier League this year. And I don't know why, because surely you want them to be looking at these incidents again so they can overturn them if it's a bad decision. So I think it's the um, the weird way in which it's being used as well in the Premier League. I don't think it's been particularly successful. I wonder what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether there's a certain amount of pride with, with the referees in the Premier League. They think my decision was the right decision. I don't want to make undermine myself because there's always that threat that, OK, you've made the wrong decision. You'll be demoted the next week to the championship. I don't know whether there's some, something political going on in that front, um, kind of whether they were against VAR in the first place, thinking it's almost, you know, one day, technically, you'll see robotic, robotic referees or you won't need them at all. I think that's what potentially could happen. Um, and when watching the game, the City game yesterday, actually, against Everton, I saw Sterling, Sterling shot, hit the crossbar, went out. I wasn't sure whether it was a goal, but, you know, you saw the goal line technology straight away. You know, it's a goal. You can't dispute it because it was black or white. The ball was over the line. Um, I think what's happened really with with technology society is that we think if we have the technology or we've created it, it's got to be innovation and it's got to be a benefit to society. Not actually thinking that the implications are perhaps perhaps it's not the right thing. Perhaps there's some things don't need to be, you know. Handwriting has been helped by typing on a computer, for example. Communication has been helped by getting mobile phones. You know, you can be you can be anywhere in the world. Does football or entertainment in general need that? Isn't the point of entertainment um, about the spontaneity and about and about and about the mistakes? That's what makes the special moments and, and creates memories in terms of the fans. And I think I think you're right. 
the offside rule is very much has been created now that it's that it's very black or white. Um, and it so you're saying, OK, if any part of you to, in order to implement those rules for technology to, to be able to test that, you've got to say, OK, it's black or white. Something's offside. Anybody part. It's done. Um, when I was taught the offside rule when I was younger, I remember it was all about, I used to say, why can't I as a striker just be hanging around in the goal? It was all about goal hanging. And they said, because that's offside. It gives you that advantage. And it it is a subjective decision in that way. It's also when they brought in that rule regarding if you're interfering with play, you know, if the goalkeeper, his decision or the defender's decision has changed by where you were placed, etc. Um, it's complex. It's a very complex issue. I, I think I think like goal line technology, it needs to come in for certain black or white elements. So if a ball touches a player and it goes behind for a corner, so today there was an example in the Leicester game, I think it was Chilwell or Tielemans might have kicked it out, um, obviously hit a player, a Newcastle player, and it wasn't given a corner. That That is the sort of thing, because that changes the dynamic of the game. It's, a, it's very much my brother-in-law and I was discussing, it was very much a sliding doors moment that, okay, who knows what could happen based on that decision. Um, whether it's throw-ins, fouls can be subjective, but obviously sometimes there really are some clear fouls. Something off, like... At the moment with offside, I feel like technology is getting it right because the way the rules are, offside is offside. Um, so I think it's less about VAR. I think it's more about the rules and then it needs to link together. I think it's I think it's still early stages. I think, I think they rushed it because they know um, the commercial potential of the Premier League and how it's being filled at the moment. And they want to have the latest technology and the latest trends. And that's fine that that is attractive and that makes sense but also this trial period which only happened probably last year it clearly hasn't worked they haven't uh got rid of the kinks and, and come up with a clear framework for that um it, it kind of lacks um for, for use of a better bridge it lacks leadership um in the area of goal line technology and i think i wanted to kind of discuss leadership this week uh, not goal line technology, technology in general, um, and VAR. I wanted to discuss leadership this week because, as you know, there was a big story going around the papers um, around the vote for the captaincy at Arsenal Football Club. Um, as you know, Michael, I've been uh, privy to so many Arsenal captains um, over the years. Uh, probably more captains than, than trophies for Arsenal, actually, quite amazingly. Um, from the Cesc Fabregas days, the William Gallas days, uh, to the Thierry Henry days and Vieira and co. Um, and the five captaincy spin story, it's it's very nice on paper. Whether or not it works um, is another story. And, and um, obviously this came about after the criticism of Kranich Shaka's performances. Um, you know, fans really calling for there to be a decision on he shouldn't play. He shouldn't be our captain. Um, and I don't know where this story originated from, because I think if they're saying they're releasing the story, Arsenal, and saying, OK, we've got, we're voting for an actual club captain. That was Unai Emery's decision. There is no way that that outcome would not be Granit Xhaka, because if that came out and they said, OK, it's Alexandre Lacazette, then Unai Emery's finished as a manager because it's showing the players don't believe in his leadership and his decision. Um I can't hide the truth that I'm not a particular big fan of this decision. 
with Granite Shaka purely because of all the elements that, whatever way you like it, I'm sure the stats back me up on this, his performances haven't been perfect or as near perfect as he can be. Um, and that, for, for me, is, is kind of the basis of a captain's work. People need to look up to him. Um, his, his attitude hasn't been ideal, especially speaking out in the press regarding, um, you know, the criticism he gets and sort of trying to shift um, the criticism onto the strikers for not scoring enough goals, which, again, that's not leadership for me. I mean, working in a, having been worked in a corporate setting, you know, the true managers and leaders... Will will will, abs- will will absorb that re- the responsibility and will be accountable and protect their team and that's not what I see from him. Um, it's another story whether for the players um, they respect him, they think that he's the one that motivates them on the pitch. But Arsenal fans, perhaps since he's been wearing that armband, have not seen that pull through. Um, so I don't know what's going on inside inside the club. I don't think it matters as much as it used to. Um, but if we're going for kind of um, a new image of the club, you know, to show that we're we're leading club again, um, that everyone's in it together, and, and we lead by example. I don't think this was the decision to unite the fans. Um, it could be one that could that could haunt Emery and, and could be um, see, seen as as the beginning of the end for him. And you know, with uh, what is it now, eight months of his contract left, um, that might be that. Ah, I, I wonder what your perspective is from an outsider. Um, looking in, and also whether that you have any thoughts on the Tottenham Hotspur situation, because I've I've seen a lot on Twitter about Harry Kane and kind of him hoping to be captain one day. Um, I was surprised he actually isn't. I thought he was official club captain. Um, so yeah, f- first your thoughts on the Arsenal bit, and then kind of alluding to the Spurs uh, part. Yeah, it's yes. quite funny the the Xhaka thing because it does seem like he is very polarizing amongst the Arsenal fan base. And a captain, I suppose you want to be a, a unifying figure, as you were saying. And it almost seems designed to be the exact decision you would make if you were an outsider picking Arsenal's captain, one thing to cause a bit of trouble. Now, in the dressing room, it might be a different story. And if everybody's voted and, and he's come out as the choice, then I suppose you have to respect that. But from the outside looking in, it does seem almost emblematic of Arsenal at this moment in time that Xhaka would be the figurehead and be your captain somebody who's has moments of of magic but is slightly erratic and ultimately untrustworthy from the Spurs perspective Hugo Lloris obviously is World Cup winning captain with France and I think is a big believer in the Pochettino project was a first team senior player when Pochettino arrived and clearly seems to be a big ally and voice for him in the dressing room I think Harry Kane though definitely is the next in line to be captain if and when it's taken from Lloris, whether that's when Lloris leaves or before then. And I think Harry Kane seems more like that sort of image of the captain that you think of. You know, you're talking about the captaincy maybe not meaning as much anymore, but I think Harry Kane kind of, you know, you think of Steven Gerrard at, at Liverpool or John Terry at, at Chelsea or the, the, the player who you can imagine shouting out instructions, keeping standards high, telling them all what it means. Harry Kane, you know, local boy, top scorer, has a connection with the fan base. He does, in a way, feel like the captain already. And to that end, almost proves your point about him maybe not being that important anymore. Ultimately, what you need is not just one player who it's all on their shoulders to motivate the team. You need a whole team of leaders. You need captains all over the pitch. 
Now, maybe you don't literally rotate the armband amongst five players like Emery did, but what you need is multiple voices in that dressing room. So the fact that Harry Kane feels like the captain, even though he's not, feels like a positive to me because it means it's not just players all turning to the Reese. You have different personalities in the dressing room who can provide different types of leadership when you need it, whether that's leading by example or whether it's being vocal in a dressing room. So from a Spurs perspective, the captaincy hasn't really been something we've needed to think about lately because we've had a settled captain and because it feels like we have other leaders around and maybe also because in a manager like Pochettino, it feels like we have that leadership there, you know, similar to, to Klopp at Liverpool, for example, or maybe even Pep Guardiola at City. Obviously, they're Vincent Company. He's not there anymore. But Liverpool of Henderson as well. But you, you sort of feel there like Klopp's the main the main voice in that dressing room. So it's an interesting one with the captaincy, whether it means as much as it used to. But maybe the fact that it's caused such commotion at Arsenal shows that maybe it, it does still mean a lot. And that's why it's become such a big story. Um, it'd be interesting to see... Do you think you'll see a big change in Xhaka in his form? Do you think it will improve him as a player? Or do you think this extra pressure will just make him even worse? It's hard to say. I mean, I think the extra pressure for a player that's not performing well, I don't think it looks good unless he's, you know, you know, you know that, again, I like to, to compare it to the corporate world just so we can humanise footballers a little bit, that if you're given a promotion... Some people have been craving that for so long and that enhanced their performance because they can broaden their horizons. They have a new lease of life. They, they, they kind of, they've, they've made that next step. At the same time, it can be quite daunting. They can feel quite out of their depth. Xhaka has had that experience of being a captain before um, with the Swiss team that probably have been um, performing on par for, for their skill um, in recent years for, for, their, for their talent pool um, for a country of that size. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, again, very good, but it's not a it's not a Champions League side. It's not a top um, top league winning side either. So, has he got the credentials as a captain on paper? Yes, as a as a leader, which I think I think as leadership rather than just the the face of it. I haven't seen it. Uh, who who would you who would you have as captain if it was your choice? Um, before he has suddenly aged before his years, um, it would have been Socrates, actually. I thought he was absolutely excellent, the way he was conducting himself on the pitch, his performances and attitude. Um, I don't actually think he's right. Dive against Villa when he pretended he'd got hit in the head. Yeah, I just, I don't, I, I think it's just one of those players that he's, he's come to the peak and, and gone beyond it. We seem to get, we got one good year out of him and now he's, he's turned to... David Louise's clone. I don't know. I don't quite know what's gone on there. Um, it's hard to say. I don't think Aubameyang's the character for it. I think he's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But he's 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 a bit like the Ronaldinho type. I, not comparing to Ronaldinho, but you know, enjoying his football. He's kind of he doesn't need that added responsibility. The players respect him in a different way. Lacazette, I could have seen a little bit more. Um, Hector Bellerin as well. You know, probably a lot of longest serving player. Bellerin is the one I was going to suggest. He right. seems from the outside like someone who could handle that responsibility. Yeah, I think he, I think he would thrive under it because he loves the club. I think you need someone who connects with the fans because that, like the captain is the bridge between the manager and the players and the player and the fans as well. Um, and I think Granit Xhaka, at least on the latter, is not 
that person at the moment. You know, he could have been if he turned it around. He previously could have been when he was putting in some decent performances. But but right now, what this club needs is is revolution and unity, and that is evolution of Arsene Wenger type decision, um, and that's disappointing. Interesting. I was, um, was going to do a little bridge to a little game because whilst we're talking about uh, about good captain decisions, um, you know, both of our clubs have had many captains over the years. So I wanted to see timing in one minute how many previous captains of our club we can name. So I have on my computer right now a list of Spurs captains over the year. Now this is this is not necessarily official captains. These are all captains, people who have worn the captain's armband. Um, so I will take quite a few answers. Um, but I want to see how many you can get. Do you think you're up for the challenge? Yeah, let's do it. All right. The time starts now. So Hugo Lloris. Yes. Ledley King. Of course. Um... So is this anybody who's ever worn the armband? Anyone who's ever worn the armband. So yeah. Harry Kane must have worn the armband at some point. Yeah, got Kane. I feel like when Pochettino very first came in, that Eunice Kabul might have been captain for his first game. I have Kabul, yep. Um, so I've done Kabul, Leslie King, Harry Kane, Hugo Lloris, trying to think further back than that. Steve Perryman, was he ever captain? Yes, Steve Perryman. He was he was half time guest uh, at the White Hart Lane today. Um think oh, further back. Dave was Dave Mackay captain? Uh yep, Dave Mackay. Um think about Judas. Oh <clears throat> he who must not be named Campbell. Oh, you just got that within one minute. I'll give you that one. You got seven there. Um I'll give you a few highlights. Gus Poyer. Oh, legend. Alf Ramsey. I didn't even know he played for Spurs. He did, yeah. Michael Dawson, Captain Duance. Robbie Keane, of course. Uh, my favourite. My favourite, Tim Sherwood, who's a gooner. Gallas. <laughs> oh, of course. Bale. The Tongans actually worn the armband. Would you believe it, Ryan Mason? Wow. Well, yeah, a few, few gems in there. I'll let you uh, start to... I'll start to rant while you you gather your your research materials. I th- I reckon I could do well. I haven't lo- I haven't actually looked out of uh, out of fair play. I was just thinking about this on my drive home uh, earlier, and I hadn't hadn't even researched. But I think I know quite a few because we've had so many. So I'm, I'm hoping I can beat you, but uh, you never uh, know. Probably will. Yeah. Trying to just gathering the uh, the materials now. It's funny. Well, it's- it seems to be a hard uh, thing to research, obviously, because um, there, there are so many the internet decides to blow up. Yeah. While I'm I'm gathering that, maybe do you want to give your predictions or thoughts for the week ahead for Arsenal? Yeah, well, so we have uh, United tomorrow away at Old Trafford, and then we have Stand Liège in the, in the... Oh, I almost said the Champions League. Uh <laughs> In the Europa League at home on Thursday. Um, United tomorrow, I'm going to go for 1-0. I think uh, both teams have a lot riding on this game for their short-term futures um, to kind of get that up hand for the race at the top four. I'll go for 1-0. Um, I think Aubameyang, you know, he's on such good form. Loves a, loves, loves a goal. So we'll go for 1-0 with him. 
and get Greenwood in because we always like um, like conceding a goal against a newbie. Um, standard age, unknown quantity at the Emirates. Again, I don't know. I'm going to play it safe and go for a two-all draw. I just don't know. It depends on that United game. If we can get a win, get the momentum, potentially we could we get another win in the Champions in the Oh, my God. I said it again. Champions League. Uh, the Europa League. Um, but if he does a lot of rotation again, I don't, I don't know at the moment how, how much uh, the manager's relying on on the Europa League this season. And then it's Bournemouth at the Emirates, so it's a double header um, in the league. I can't see anything more than an Arsenal win. I have to go for a three nil because, sorry, three one because we always concede. Um, but, but that's the sort of performance we need to put in. We need to. We need to get the fans back on side in the league and make sure that we're we're we're, we're dominating. We're, we're getting results out of the games that we should be getting results out of, and and starting to build that momentum ahead of Christmas because it's going to get harder to to get the points against the so-called easier teams on paper. No easy game in the Premier League. No, not at all. And how about you? If you uh, what what Spurs week looking like, and uh, do you think you'll be turning around? Well, we actually are in the Champions League. So. Mm. We'll be enjoying that on Tuesday night against Bayern Munich. Very tough game. I'm going to be positive, though. I'm going to say we win that because European nights at home, we tend to pull it out of the bag sometimes. So I'm going to be positive. Maybe 2-1, Hume and Son getting amongst the goals. We'll probably lose, but I'm going to try and stay optimistic. And then I believe it's Brighton away. I might double-check that. Could be tricky. Brighton, I think, have been quite impressive. But it's a game you have to win. I might even go 2-1 again, because again, we always concede. So if those two results come off, then we're very much back in business. And I think we've got then Watford at home before Liverpool in the league away at Anfield, which will definitely be a defeat. Just hope <laughs> it's uh, not too much, of a, too much of a bruising one. That's the spirit. <laughs> like, always, uh, the optimism doesn't last long. Actually, no, we've got Red Star Belgrade at home in the Champions League before Liverpool away. Because, again, we are actually in the Champions League. So, for now, at least. Time shall tell. Are you ready for your your captaincy challenge? I was born ready. Going to get one minute ready on the clock. Okay. That was, that was a very captaincy reply. <laughs> it was. Three, two, one, go. Okay. Uh, Granite Xhaka. Yeah. William Gallas. Yeah. Cesc Fabregas. Yeah. Thierry Henry. Yeah. Patrick Vieira. Yeah. Tony Adams. Yeah. Uh, Robin Van Persie. Yes. Uh, um, I believe Colo Torre points. He's not on this list. That doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't one. I could just Al- list this. Al- Al- Almunia. Again, this... I think the list I've got is of official ones rather than everyone who's worn it. Um, let me keep going. McClintock. Mc, McClin. McClintock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, who else have we had? I feel like I'm missing some obvious ones here. Um, Sask, Robin, Chaka. Kajoni. Lauren Kajoni. Yeah. Um, and that's one minute. Wow. There you go. Nine. Very good. And probably more because Almunia probably did wear the armband at some point as well. There was one between 
Before, oh, her murder sacker, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, looking back here, Pat Rice. I remember his days as yeah. a two to Arsene Wenger. Big Pat. Arteta as well, of course. Yeah. Yeah, we've had some, we've had a lot of them. I never liked the non-playing captain thing. It didn't, for me, that that's kind of the manager's role to be the off-field <laughs> off captain as such. I never, it was almost absolving responsibility. Um, it, it's, I, I don't know. I th- I'm sure I wrote an article a while ago about kind of how the captaincy has changed or at least i i wrote it i may have not published it i may have i think i may have psyched myself out because i didn't want to be too controversial um unlike me um yeah interesting it's it's all it's all changed slightly but i think you do need that leadership that's what does set out these these teams and the rest you know you saw city with company all those years um united with uh the likes of ferdinand and vidic Keane and uh and, and the sorts. Um, Chelsea with Terry, of course. Liverpool with Gerrard. Um, Tottenham with Mr. Blobby. Well, I think that probably just about covers it, doesn't it? I think it does. I think it does. I'm uh, opt- quietly optimistic, but um, time will tell. This ne- time next week, I might be um, extremely moody. Um, back on the, the the player out and the manager out uh, hype. But for now, I'll, I'll, I'll say... Um, Good night, um, good evening, and uh, wish you well.